The Doctor Is In is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. How are you, sir? This is Pierre. Oh. I can't believe I'm talking to you, Dr. Ray the Great. Oh, I don't know about that. I love listening to you. You have a personality just like my father. I don't think you should feel helpless. You are helpless. Doctor, I really appreciate that. That makes me feel a lot better. You be at peace, or else I'm going to yell at you. Trying to find a reason to speak to you. I think you're the best thing since sliced bread. That Ray, he's something. Thank you so much for what you're doing for all the parents out there. They don't know what I can possibly do. I don't either. I'm getting my money worth, I think, at this phone call. Now, from the studios of Living Bread Radio Network in Canton, Ohio, the hometown of Mother Angelica, here's Dr. Ray. Yeah, she got her money's worth because I gave her two cents. Gave her two cents of my opinion. She only asked for a penny of my thoughts. Nice to have you with me, Dr. Ray Garendi. This is The Doctor is In. This is the Variant E-Person Monday. I get so many emails, and I will every once in a while resort to calling them emails, essentially saying I'm not going to be bullied linguistically. or call them emails. But every so often I nod. And so I go through them and pick out some that I I think would be helpful to read. My approach to them is not reading the whole email and then saying, this is what I think. My approach is reading them line by line and commenting as though someone were sitting before me telling a story about a situation and I could ask questions, interrupt gently. I'm kind of... Well, I, I didn't want to do the show today, but I, I figured, no, the shoe must go on. Because my wife and I were out at a restaurant a couple of days ago for our anniversary. A couple of booths away was a woman about my age who was, well, it looked like she had been drinking for quite some time. I looked, and I studied, and I looked. My wife said, what are you looking at? I said, you know that? I know her. I know her. She looks familiar. I think I dated her in college. They tell me after we broke up, she started drinking. My wife said, it's hard to believe somebody could celebrate that long. I still paid I still paid the tab. There are a lot of phrases, pop psychology clichés that are all over the place. They sound good. Let me give you a little backdrop. The sitcom Everybody Loves Raymond. Now the uh, EWGN people who wanted to produce this program said they wanted a variant of Everybody Loves Raymond. And so this is some people sort of tolerate Raymond. On that particular sitcom, they were having for their Catholic church for their children a, an auction, an auction of various things. And Deborah had made a rather amateurish jewelry box. And it was falling apart, and she was trying to fix it while she was trying to auction it off. And Raymond got up, and he was teasing her and making some jokes and 
Everybody was laughing and having a good time, and, and the purpose was fulfilled. They got a lot of money for the box, even though it was useless. They got home, and Deborah said something like, I, I, feel, I feel very put down. I feel very put down. And Raymond said, well, that feeling is wrong. And Deborah said, and this is why I think the writers of that program had some psychology courses. Deborah said, my feelings are mine. They're neither right nor wrong. So that's really the line that's very popular. Feelings are neither right nor wrong. They just are. I don't think that's totally true. Suppose I went to my wife and I said, I got to tell you, I got a lot of feelings of lust for some women at work. But I want you to know those are just feelings. And I have no intention of acting upon them. Because that's, that's the other part of that adage, which is feelings are neither right nor wrong. What you do with them can be right or wrong. So I tell my wife, no, honey, I, I have no intention whatsoever of acting upon it. And suppose she says to me, well, Ray, when you say things like this to me, I, I have strong feelings of hostility towards you. Very, very strong anger, hostile feelings. But don't worry about it because I'm not going to act upon it. Case could be made that those feelings are harmful. Whether I act on them or whether I don't, whether she acts on them or whether she doesn't, they're nasty feelings. Feelings can be very ugly I have, I have deep, deep hostility toward my mother-in-law. But I try. I try not to let it show. What do you do with that hostility? Would you just percolate it? What are you doing with it? The question is not feelings are neither right nor wrong. The question is how those feelings get there. I have hostile feelings toward my mother-in-law. Where are those feelings coming from? Well, she says things. Okay, so she says things. Do I have to have that level of hostility because she says dumb, jerky, opinionated things? Do I? She can say anything she wants. Do I have to have that feeling of hostility toward her? So often... The idea that feelings just are, they're not just are, they're fueled by our thinking, by our perception, by our, she should never have said that to me, who does she think she is? I don't do that to her, I don't deserve that. So we create these feelings because of our thoughts, our perception regarding what happened. I'll draw it close to home. For a lot of you folks. Unfortunately, I believe it's to the point now where adult children leave the faith, reject the faith, hostile toward their parents' faith in greater numbers than those who adhere to the faith they were raised with. Numbers are higher. I think it's more than the majority. The parents 
no matter how much they tried to be faith-filled, stable, loving, good, parents feel like failures. Well, wait a minute. That feeling's wrong. Oh, oop. I shouldn't have said that because Deborah would tell me. Those are your feelings. You're allowed to feel that way. What does that feel? Let me rephrase that. Objection, Your Honor. Okay, let me rephrase the question. What is that feeling based upon? It's based upon, I must have missed something. I must not have been a good enough parent. I must not have applied the proper spiritual direction and formulas. I must have done something wrong. My own example must have been weak. All kinds of thinking underlies the feeling of failure. But if a parent were to say, I'm not God, I'm human, I did the best I could do, given what I knew, my maturity level in the faith at the time, I don't see how I could have done a whole lot more. If they were to say that, they would be disappointed that their kids have left the faith. But they wouldn't feel like failures. I have children who have one foot in the faith and one foot in the world. Do I feel like a failure? Absolutely not. Because I know that my wife and I did what we could, the best we could, to teach and live the faith as best we could. Are you saying you didn't ever fall short? Of course I did. Not deliberately, but because I'm human and I'm not God. And one other thing. If God would have accompanied you on your parenting journey, whispering instructions into your ear on every situation, would that guarantee your children would stay in the faith and you wouldn't feel a failure? Of course not. Because Jesus himself couldn't get most people to follow him. And he was God. And he knew exactly what to do and say. But even in his time, Free will was a powerful factor. And the culture now is an even more powerful factor. Feelings just are neither right nor wrong. They just are. No, sometimes they're pretty junky, to use the words of Beaver Cleaver. Many of you don't remember that. God, you got to be feeling really junky, Wally. Sometimes feelings lead to a lot of bad behavior. I'll get into that in another time. This is Dr. Ray. Thank you. If it's central to the faith, you can find it on EWTN Podcast Central, featuring the best of EWTN Radio, as well as faith-filled podcasts from our friends and affiliates across the nation, all in one place, all free. The destination for great Catholic audio programming is EWTN Podcast Central. It's like podcast heaven. Visit EWTN.com slash radio slash podcasts today. Are mobile phones dangerous? 
I'm Chuck Gatica, and this is Journey Strong. Our phones have become an extension of our physical bodies, and they emit radiation. Where you routinely place, hold, or store your phone on your body is critical. Energy emitted from radio frequency exposure can be absorbed by the body and potentially harmful. Apple recommends customers using its latest iPhones try the hands-free options like built-in speaker phones and headphones to reduce exposure. Android-type phones top the list of phones giving off the most radiation. Keep all brands of phones away from your ear and head when possible. Men should store a phone in a pant pocket. Women should keep their phone in a purse, pant pocket, but not in their bra. I didn't know this was a thing. Practice social distancing from phones. Like fasting from food, maybe it's time for a digital detox. Check out the Journey Strong tab for more on this at the homepage of AveMariaRadio.net. Would you get on a plane that doesn't have a pilot? Investing in passive index mutual funds may present the same issue. The Ave Maria mutual funds are actively managed by seasoned investment professionals to help you meet your investment goals in a morally responsible way. Ave Maria funds are managed to conform to pro-life and pro-family values. Long-term investors could invest in the no-load Ave Maria mutual funds. You can learn more about the Ave Maria mutual funds at 866-AVE-MARIA or visit AveMariaFunds.com. So very nice to have you with me, and so very nice to be with you. I have one of these jobs that people say, you get paid for doing that? It's not all easy, folks. There are times, like right now, I am out of diet root beer. There's nothing but ice cubes at the bottom of this glass. And I can't go get more diet root beer for another 11 minutes until we have a hard break. So don't don't think I don't have my own stressors. Dr. Ray, this will sound odd, <laughs> but then I am an odd guy. <laughs> Little self-effacing line there. I sometimes will have vivid dreams that seem unrelated to anything I have seen or heard. Understanding the origins, the promptings, the stimulation behind the weirdness in dreams is very hard to do. Much of the time, they have this weak, tangential relationship to something. Let's say you're walking down the street, and you see somebody who vaguely resembles somebody you knew 10 years ago. You haven't seen since. Well, that night, you have a dream, and you must remember the dream, by the way, because we dream much more than we remember, about this person 10 years ago, and you're thinking to yourself, where'd that come from? I, did, what, I, I, I didn't see that person. I wasn't even thinking about that person. What's going on? But your brain took it. Your neurological structure said, okay, let's make this connection that's really weird. That happens a lot in dreams. If my dreams are memorable and about someone I don't often think of, I let them know just to make sure they're all right. Well, I don't think there's any connection between having a dream about someone. And I've, I've seen this happen when I was in the evangelical world. I've had folks say, I had a dream about you. Are you okay? 
Now, for the most part, it's, there's no connection there. But because of the mysteriousness of dreams and what they could indicate, and maybe there's a hidden message within the dream for most of us, we wonder, is that other person okay? Is this a signal that I better check on him? Dr. Ray, the Bible is full of God communicating to people through dreams. That's true. But that's God doing it. It's not us falling asleep and having all kinds of twists and turns up there in our neurological structure. Sigmund Freud used to believe that dreams all had meaning. And the meaning they had was something the person was wrestling with, a psychic conflict that really didn't come to awareness and it poked through when a person was dreaming and his ego defenses were weakened. Now, <laughs> Freud hasn't really been research supported on any of that. That was his theory way back when. This is not to say that dreams don't have some meaning sometime for us. Some of you, I know I have, have that, that recurrent dream. I'm back in college, and I didn't study, and it's past the drop and ad date, and I never even opened the book, and I'm walking in chemistry class, and there's the final sitting in front of me. I've had that dream a bazillion times. One I've had even more than that. I coached softball for years. And toward the end, it's very difficult to get guys to be reliable. Some of them very, very unreliable in showing up. Oh, I've had multiple, multiple, multiple dreams of being in a tournament, wondering why we only have six guys. Did I not tell them? Do they not know? Where are they? How are we going to do this? You can't play with six guys. Oh, I've had that dream even more than college, which kind of tells you that softball was more important to me than college was. Dr. Ray, you were in my dream last night playing the organ. Yeah, I, I played the organ for 10 years in, in restaurants and places like that. He says, no, I didn't have pizza. I just wanted to make sure you were doing all right. As far as I know, as far as I could tell. Now, this came in last week. So since then, I've not noticed anything out of the ordinary. He closes with, you can analyze me later. Well, no, I'm analyzing you now. <laughs> There's a danger in making too much out of dreams. We do this. They're, they're kind of random neurological events. And the people who study these things, the researchers... There's all kinds of theories as to why this is. What, what is the purpose of our brain doing this seemingly unnecessary, unrelated type stuff? One of the theories I heard was it was kind of like pruning of neural connections that your brain didn't need. Stuff that wasn't rational stuff that wasn't realistic. And so, therefore, the brain has to kind of clean house and get rid of a lot of those neural connections. I don't know. How do you, how do you determine something like that? I mean, it's a nice theory, but we, we really don't have the technology to look at the brain at that fine-tuned a level yet. 
suffice it to say, dreams have always been fascinating to people. What do they mean? How do they come about? And remember this. The majority of your dreams you don't remember. You either have to wake up during them or shortly thereafter. You dream a lot more toward the morning because you have a, a stage of sleep that occurs more frequently in the morning where most dreams occur. As a result, when you're kind of drifting in and out of sleep in the morning, you have these weirdo dreams that come and go. And you know as well as I do, you have woke up, woken, awakened? I, don't, I think it's awakened. Somebody will email me on that. You have awakened and said to yourself, oh, thank, thank you, dear Lord, that was just a dream. Whew, glad that was a dream. All righty, I've had those. Well, really only when we only have six guys for the tournament. That's when, when I've had them. All right, let's see what else I got here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Three and a half minutes. My first grade daughter spit toward her toddler brother's face. Okay, so she didn't spit into his face, toward. All right, it was a, a gesture, a, a spittle gesture, we call it in the profession. All right, come on, I made that up. I stopped the car in the driveway and dumped her arts and crafts into the trash. That was a apparent reaction. You know, we, we sometimes get frustrated and, and we react. Now, wait, before I go any further, I'm going to probably have to take this over the break. For mom to get this upset over this, she had to have interpreted her daughter's spitting as meaning more than just spitting. See, I would look at that as a father of 10 in my home, having spitters, that kids do stuff like this. And that was her first grade daughter's attempt to really make a point. Nonverbal communication. So I say, okay, all right, you spit. Well, I'm going to do something about that. But I'm not going to be shook up by the actual act of spitting itself. It's weird, it's dirty, it's ugly, but it doesn't really have necessarily psychological meaning. I picked her up to put her in the car, dropped her off at school, saying that spitting is unacceptable. All right, I know, unacceptable. Spitting's wrong. (laughs) Spitting's bad. (laughs) But what happens is we fall prey. We have had our language antisepticized. We don't say behavior's bad or wrong anymore. That's shaming. We say unacceptable, inappropriate. Bless me, Father, for I have made inappropriate choices. Bless me, Father, for I have acted unacceptably. That's what we do. Child development does this. They talk about this. They don't want you to use morally laden words. You got to use neutral words. Volunteer walked by and saw my crying child. (laughs) How do I handle this when I see her next with a follow-up, follow-through? I already reacted in anger, and throwing away her toys seems to have had no effect. 
because her behavior hasn't improved in the past year or two. And that is the most significant line in this e-person. Because her behavior hasn't improved in the past. I was waiting for her to say day or two. Mom said year or two. All right. I'm going to wait 10 seconds and the music's going to start. So I will summarize this on the other side along with some observations packed into this one, two, three, four, five, six, six line E person. I'm Dr. Rick. As a Catholic dad, I know how frustrating parenting can be, but it doesn't have to be that way anymore. I'm Dr. Greg Popcheck from More to Life, inviting you to become a premium member of Catholic Home. That's CatholicHOM.com. It's an online community dedicated to supporting faithful parents like you. At Catholic Home, you can chat with our team of family life coaches every day, get expert support with discipline issues, self-care, creating a stronger marriage, living your faith at home, or just coping with the stress of being a Catholic parent in today's world. In addition to the personalized expert support you'll get as a premium member of CatholicHOM.com, you'll get access to tons of creative resources, entertaining videos that teach your kids how to get along with each other and love the Lord, downloadable activities, monthly live parenting Q&As, a supportive community of faithful Catholic parents, and tons of other benefits, like my Bedatitudes podcast. Go to CatholicHOM.com today and become a premium member of the Catholic Home Community. Again, that's CatholicHOM.com. I can't wait to see you there. Catholic Connection with Teresa Tomio. On this show and on this network and uh, in many of our other outlets that we have through Ave Maria Radio and EWTN, we're always going to keep you up to date on what's happening in terms of the culture and how toxic the culture is. Certainly, we talk about that uh, every week. So you can navigate the media landscape, so you can learn about the challenges and be well aware of them. That's one thing. We talk about religious liberty issues. We talk about the attacks, of course, on on the pro-life causes. We need to be aware of all that, which is why we talk about it. So we give you the tools, we give you the information, the research that we come up with as writers, as producers, as presenters, as talk show hosts, on and on and on. But at the end of the day, what do we need to do when we know this? We should be speaking out even more loudly and on a regular basis. Catholic Connections, Teresa Tomio. Weekdays, 9 a.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio. Good to have you with me. You know, I pass the signs on the highway on various two-lane roads. Adopted by such and such a club. Adopted by the hospital. Got me to thinking as an adoptive father, when do you tell a highway that it's adopted? Do you wait till the highway says, you know, I really don't look like the Kiwanis? Just, just a ponder. To summarize... This e-person, before I went on break, we had a mom, first grade daughter, spit toward her toddler brother. Mom really got upset. Took all the daughter's arts and craft and just threw them out. Daughter ran out of the car, throwing a fit. Mom dropped her off, 
saying spit is unacceptable, the morally, the morally antisepticized word that now the child development people want you to use. And she says, how do I handle this with the next follow-up, follow-through? Now, here's the interesting thing. It sounds like, okay, this particular piece of misconduct rocked mom. Now, why, why did it rock her like this? Well, she's obviously got to put some kind of meaning to it. And I believe that the, the final sentence to her E-person sheds light on the meaning she put to it. She said, I already reacted in anger and throwing away her toys seems to have no effect. Because her behavior hasn't improved in the past day? No, no. In the past week? No, no. In the past month? No. She says her behavior hasn't improved in the past year or two. So, that indicates that mom is frustrated by this little girl's conduct. And she feels rather struggling to get it under discipline control. When she threw out all the little girl's stuff, that's not atypical. When parents get frustrated over ongoing misconduct, which, by the way, most of the time, and this is the good news, most of the time when little kids do this, we're allowing it. We really are. We're not responding in ways that would at least tone it down. We may not make it go away. This could be a tough kid. But there's much we can do to make it better. So, mom is reacting and she saw the spit. And she probably interpreted that this kid is incorrigible. This kid is mean. This kid is out of control at age six. What now? Then she said an interesting thing, and I don't know because I can't talk to mom about this. She said throwing away her toys seems to have no effect. Well, my question is how many toys she have. Many parents will say this. We've taken her favorite toy and it didn't make any difference. Yeah, well, she has a 220 toy Toys R Us truck up there. So, how many toys? Somebody like this comes into my office. One of the first things I'm going to ask them, after we talk a while, they describe the situation, the scenario, their own responses. I'm going to say, if if you told this little girl, please go to the corner, for some piece of misconduct, would she? Without a fight, without an argument, without coming out 26 times. The vast majority of the time when parents come in that frustrated, they will say no. No, they won't. The child will not. And then I'll say, well, the child perceives you as having no authority. Because you can't levy a consequence and get cooperation. Now, sadly, this is the case with a lot of American parents. A lot And these are decent people. These are good people. This is not unstable marriages and family lives. These are parents who, for whatever the reason, have bought into the idea that we can all just reason together and get along, set up win-win scenarios and give choices, 
and their authority has been predicated upon their ability to convince the child to cooperate. This is a kid. They don't want to cooperate most of the time. They want to do what they want to do. That's normal kidhood. So I have to do a lot of work to get to the parent, get the parent convinced and to show them how to get that kind of authority. It's not, it's not hard, especially with little ones. But you see, mom's frustration here with this daughter, given what she did, is usually what brings people to my office. There is a, oh boy, I hesitate to use this word because it's been so misused. There is a triggering event. And that triggering event is what makes the parent realize something has to change. Now, much of the time, I, I got to tell you, I'm, I'm going to say over half the time, the parent comes in and believes the problem is in the child. Most of the time, it's not. Oh, yeah, this kid could be tougher than a sibling. There's no question about that. Usually they come in because one of the kids is the toughest of their kids. Okay, I got that. Either immature or more challenging or more emotional, whatever it might be. Challenges their parenting more. But they have gotten into some habits that have made the situation worse and have basically taught the child to see them as having, at best, very questionable authority. At one point, our 10 adopted children were all under 12. My wife homeschooled, which is impressive because I think she only went to third grade. Okay, I'm teasing. Somebody asked her once, what would you do if one of your kids refused their discipline? My wife said, I don't know. And the parent, rather in disbelief, said, what do you mean you don't know? She said, they don't refuse their discipline. Is that because our kids were easy? Oh, no, no. Some of our kids have some really, really rough histories, really rough histories that predisposed them to definitely go after adults. Why? Because very early on she showed them, please accept your discipline or there will be significant consequences. And they knew that mom means what she says. Mom, mom has done it. So it didn't really take all that long before they got to the point where if mom said go to the court or mom said go lay on your bed, mom said put your head down at the dining room table, mom said give me 50 sentences, mom said write a 200-word essay of apology to your brother, it happened. But see, in cases like this, if it doesn't happen, if I put a consequence on you and that could lead to an escalation of a brawl, the child learns your authority is questionable. And if it's questionable, I can resist it.
The following is a medical moment. Hi, I'm Bobby Schindler, brother of Terry Schiavo. A second opinion is when a physician, other than the one currently responsible for your care, reviews your medical records and any test results in order to assess, diagnose, and recommend treatment for you. You have the right and don't need to give a reason to seek a second opinion, and many people do so to simply explore options. You may want to get a second opinion when your current physician's recommended treatment doesn't reflect your pro-life values. You want to learn about other possible treatment options and assess risk and benefits. You don't feel that the current healthcare facility is best equipped to handle the treatment. A 2017 study by the Mayo Clinic found that 88% of patients that received a second opinion had a new or refined diagnosis or treatment plan. It very well may pay to get an alternative viewpoint to ensure you get the best care possible. This medical moment brought to you by MyLifeAngels.com. The Catechism of the Catholic Church on Animals, paragraph 2417. God entrusted animals to the stewardship of those whom he created in his own image. It is legitimate to use animals for food and clothing. They may be domesticated to help man in his work. Medical and scientific experimentation on animals is a morally acceptable practice if it remains within reasonable limits and contributes to caring for or saving human lives. It is contrary to human dignity to cause animals to suffer or die needlessly. It is likewise unworthy to spend money on them that should, as a priority, go to the relief of human misery. So the Catechism is quite clear. We have a great duty to exhibit kindness to animals and at the same time understand that animals were created not for their own sake, but for the sake of the human. Cresta in the Afternoon, weekdays at 4 Eastern on EWTN Radio. Thanks for joining me, Dr. A. Gurendi, Monday through Friday, 1 o'clock Eastern Time. Doctor is in. Been here for about 20 years now. Yeah, I, I was so shocked, so shocked when EWTN and Ave approached me to do a program. And I had just, just gotten out of high school. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. I said, well, yeah, I haven't, I haven't really gone to college yet. And they said, well, you know, don't want you to be too old after 20 years. This is E-Person Monday, where I take a look at some of the things that you send in through your missives. I can't really say missives. I'd have to say ms-ives. I'm a 24-year female. Well, that's good. I've been a female for 24 years. That's good. I'm going to assume that's from birth. And have currently been living on my own for almost two years as an intern. I have applied and gotten accepted into graduate studies at a university in my hometown. Crobam is fully funded pays a $30,000 stipend. Woo! That's pretty good. I decided 
about splitting rent with a good friend of mine who's also attending the university for grad school. And that'd be a good option for me since I currently have no problems living off the stipend as long as another intern is splitting rent with me. I'm going to assume this intern is a female, in case she's not. However, my parents want me to remain home and save money. I feel guilty for not wanting to return home. And yes, I could save money, but I personally feel like my finances are good for living on my own and that it's best at my age to leave the nest if I feel comfortable handling adult responsibilities. Well, many people, and I know you don't want to live by consensus, but probably 90-plus percent of people would say, with the exception of extraneous circumstances, like my son who was in grad school till he was 25 or 26, for the most part, uh, yeah, at age 24, you're very, very, very capable. As a matter of fact, it would probably be good to leave the nest. Any... Uh, Advice is appreciated, especially since I find that I overthink and fear making imprudent decisions. In questions like this, the underlying question always is, I know what I want to do. I believe there's certainly nothing wrong with what I want to do. There's no moral question involved here. It's a question of, well, do I want to save money at home or do would I rather live independently? That's a very, very legitimate question, and the question is answered by the person, the 24-year-old. But the underlying question is, I want to make this decision without upsetting someone. In this case, the parents. I don't know what kind of influence the parents have. I don't know how much daughter allows them to have this much influence. I mean, she must. I certainly know a boatload of people who have left home at age 18, 19, 20 because they've decided I, I want to make my own way. Many of them have decided this foolishly. I want to make my own way, and I don't like living at my parents' house because my parents still got some kind of rules, and I don't want any kind of rules, so I'm going to go out and do my own thing and then swing back around after a year and realize that didn't work. But there are still plenty of those who leave, make their own way independently, and do well. Obviously, 18 is just a legal demarcation for adulthood in our culture. We could have made it 16, could have made it 20. Could have made it 21.3 months. But in this case, she's six years past that legal demarcation. I think she's just concerned, worried maybe, about upsetting her parents. So here's the question. <clears throat> if someone views this decision as a perfectly legitimate one for a 24-year-old to make, especially given things are lined up very much in her favor. What other decisions might she make that would run against her parents' viewpoints? Say she meets a guy. And from everything she can tell, everything she believes, 
He's a good guy. They've gotten to know each other. Uh, she sees this as a, a very good faith marriage future relationship. But for whatever personal reasons, parents don't necessarily like the guy. Or they have reservations about him. You know, he he's working, he's reliable, but it's not really the kind of job they think that their highly educated daughter can relate to at the same professional level. Would that be enough for her to tell him? My parents have reservations, therefore we can't go forward. Or would she have to rely upon her own judgment? I see no problem with this decision. The only problem I see is that my parents prefer something else. That's okay. They can prefer something else. The problem is how upset will they get? See that? I, and I've seen this happen where an adult child will make a decision that is not an immoral one. It's one that two people could honestly disagree upon. But if they make it, the parents or parent get upset over the decision because it's not the one that the parents would make or it's not the one the parents would want for the child. Well, at that point, it comes down to really making an adult decision and recognizing that not everybody's going to agree with you and that not everybody may be the people closest to you in your life. I'm Dr. Ray. The doctor is in. Saints are the heroes of the Catholic faith. They serve as examples for all Catholics, showing us how to lead a more satisfying, more spiritual life in communion with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. View our comprehensive documentation of saints who serve as theologians and doctors of the church. It's easy. Visit EWTN.com and click Catholicism. EWTN, the Global Catholic Network. Father Benedict Rochelle. Brothers and sisters, we got to tell the truth in this country. For heaven's sakes, I wouldn't want to go to a synagogue and find that they were having a Muslim service. I wouldn't want to go to a mosque and run into a Baptist service. I don't want to go to a Baptist church and find out that they're having mass. We've got to be honest to ourselves. We've got to be what we are. I'd rather a good old-fashioned, honest agnostic than a phony Christian any day of the week. There are reluctant agnostics. There are atheists who are searching for God, and they may find Him. But somebody who says they're doing something in the name of God and the name of Christ, and God and Christ have nothing to do with it, is violating this commandment. I am the Lord your God. You shall not take my name in vain. The people you know and trust are on EWTN. Hi, I'm Al Cresta. 
Our generation is the first in human history to widely reject that life has any overarching purpose. Morality is considered relative, and we're even uncertain about what it means to be a man or a woman. Catholics at this time need to be awake, not woke. Sit down with Renewal Ministries' Peter Herbeck and I for an extended conversation with Noel Maring, author of Awake, Not Woke. It's available on the Renewal Ministries YouTube page or in the slider at AveMariaRadio.net. I don't golf much. It takes a long time, and I'm not very good at it. Plus, the other problem is I can't really time my swing. But the dinosaur mouth is open right when the ball goes through. But I was on a regular course. I kind of was right there at the women's tees. And I heard somebody from the clubhouse. Will the gentleman please move back to the men's tees? And I just kind of ignored it, and I kind of looked over the ball and got ready to take my swing, and then it, then it came on louder. Will the gentleman please move back to the men's tee? Once again, I thought, okay, that's enough. He's warned me twice. I'm going to let it go. Third time. Third time. This time he really was important about it. So finally I, I turned and I yelled at the clubhouse. Will you please let me take my second shot? And so now you know why. I don't golf much. Okay, this is a this is just a quick question. Every time I ask my six-year-old son, okay, there's your first problem. Asking your six-year-old son why he did something. He says, well, Mother, let me explain to you. As I, as I look through my motivations, I realize they are an amalgam of number of motivations. And what appears to be the most obvious motivation is not always the motivation. There are sometimes, no, that's not what he says. You know what he says? He says what they say. Oh, no. And they don't even say, I don't know. It's kind of a, a smashed-together word. I-U-N-N-O. I don't know. That's what they say. Now, parents, ask kids why. Expecting to get an answer. That is one of the more futile questions you can ask a little kid. For two reasons. One, they truly don't know. I mean, they, they act on impulse. They act because they felt like it. They act because they thought they could get away with it. They act because they saw somebody else do it. They figured they'd try it. Nothing fancy. Nothing complex for a six-year-old kid. So they really don't know why. But sometimes they know, but they're not going to tell you. Okay, I burped spaghetti sauce on her head because she sneezed. I kicked over the plants outside that you were going to, that you were going to, put there because I, I didn't like the color of the pot. They're not going to tell you because then you get even more mad. So, Mom says, I want to know the reasons why he acts as he does. Well, I'll help you out here, Ma. It's not real complicated. I felt like it. Thought for sure I could get away with it. Saw other people doing it. That really gobbles up most of them for a six-year-old. They're not psychologically complicated creatures. 
But let's say he does something that seems inexplicable, out of quote-unquote character. Very hard to do something out of character, because if you did it, that's within character by definition. You did it. That's not me. Well, who else is it? You did it. It's you. may not be you consistently, but it was you then. So you figure, okay, i got to get to the bottom of this. got to understand this. But here's, here's the second trip switch on this. Even if you understand it, what does that mean? So he gives you a good reason why, in fact, he scribbled his name in indelible magic marker on his door. Well, I just thought it really would look cool because um, I would like my name because it's my door. And I didn't want you wiping it off with a rag, so I got one that that I that I that I that I thought could be you. You couldn't get it to to go away, and and that's why I did it. Okay, then would you say, well, now that I know, I'm not going to do anything about it? You've explained it. Or would you say, well, thank you for helping me understand. Now, what are we going to do about this? Because that's really where it's at. Better question to ask than why is what? What did you do? See, you can see the what. They can see the what. You can't see the why. And they can tell you any why they want. But most of the time they tell you, I don't know. Teenagers don't even give you an I don't know. They, they shrug their shoulders. Or they shrug one shoulder. They're ambush shoulders. They shrug the other shoulder. Because they don't want to tell you. Or they don't think about it. It doesn't matter to them. But we, the, the mistake underlying our frustration is that we think we have to know why to correct a behavior. Not really. You can correct it without knowing all the motives underlying it. But Dr. Ray, if you know the motives, you can figure it out. And then if you change the motives, yeah, yeah but much of the motives are unchangeable. Or it wouldn't make any difference anyway. Even if you change the motives, the behavior is still a habit. Any of you who smoke, you started smoking when you were 15 to look cool. You've been smoking for 32 years. You still smoke but to look cool? <laughs> no, your motive's changed. Now you're smoking because you can't get past it because nicotine is very addicting. But it's not to look cool anymore. That was your original motive. That motive has changed. All right, looking at the clock. Eh, I still got about a minute. See what I can add to this little six-year-old son. What you can do, Mom, if you're that intent on getting an answer, you sell him, go sit down on the couch, go sit down on the steps, sit down at the table, and when you're ready to tell me why you did that, you let me know, I'll come and listen, and then you can get up. It's amazing. It's a miracle. How many of them concoct a motive, anything that's believable, just to get off that couch, those stairs, that table? Nice to have you with me on this e-person. I thank you so very much. Tomorrow, good Lord permitting, we'll get to talk together. And Andrew Krujak, my producer man, will be there, as well as Eric Dumont. And hopefully you. So, you don't have to know all the reasons why you walk with God, but just make sure first thing you do 
For information on Dr. Ray's presentations, books, and CDs, visit DRA.com and follow him on Facebook. The Doctor is In is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.